Hello, everyone. This is Mark with Speak Break Podcast. Welcome, friends. Welcome, loyal audience members. I am so excited that you you can join me today and learn together. My friend, my trusted ally and partner in this business is John Morrow. John, you're right here. Are you here? Can you show us? I can't show you because we're broadcasting on a podcast. And unless we can throw a photograph up there, even then... It would be not live. But you hear my voice. I hear your voice. I am not a pre-recorded voice answering, I am here. You are. In real time. I see you, you see me. I see you, I see you. This is one one of my friends, um, friends, a good friend that I know for three years, or three or four years, recently told me a story. Told me a story about African tribes, how one member of a tribe goes on the road, let's say, to get some food or to do some business in another mm. tribe, in another location. And when two people, whether they're two men or two women, they come together, or men and women, they come on the road, and instead of saying, hello, how are you, or the equivalent of that in English language, they say, I see you. And the other person says, I see you. Isn't that amazing? Yes, I see you. I see. Okay, well, there's very profound meaning. I see you. I see you. I see you. So, John, I I see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining Speed Brave Podcast, friends. Today, I want to take a special, a special detour, special detour and interview because, as you have grown in audience and numbers and your devotion and your following of this podcast, we have been on a journey. Journey to find out who Mark is, um, what is Speak Brave was about, and at every episode, there was John, John Morrow, my trusted friend, my ally, uh, without whom this podcast would not be possible. So today, I decided to dedicate this show um, to to get to know John, to get to know John, who John is, how did he become this awesome man that he is now, and how. What, what what kind of things that he can tell us in, in, in his best stories? Because John truly is a master, and he's a master storyteller. And I knew this because I work with him closely, and I see the stories. I see the people that he touches with his messages. But I don't think John has came to this, to this earth out of, you know, out of the womb of his mom, but a storyteller. He became a storyteller, right? That's right. Yes, he did. And so, John, this show is about you. Uh, it is Speak Brave, but remember, on this podcast, we are here to ask questions that are not always comfortable. Well, you always taught me to speak brave. Speak brave, have the courage and speak up. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't speak up, nobody will know what, who you are and what you care about, what you stand for. This is the time to take a stand. This is the time for you to tell us about John. So, John. Take the stand. Okay. I'm in court. <laughs> I solemnly swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So, help me God. Okay. So, so help, help the audience understand who John is and where John been, where's John now, where's John going, and the lessons it's it's have a conversation with your friends because people who've been listening to the podcast they're your friends they are your friends and they want to hear from you so tell us your friends how did you become you oh wow go ahead tell me oh well how did i become me i think i will answer it first by the school of hard knocks is part of it is that a is that a real school no it's 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 life it's the experiences (laughs) of life it's the lessons that life teaches 
I was born into your typical, as we sometimes say, nuclear family. Okay. Inside a mom, a dad, uh, sweethearts in high school, fell in love with each other. Dad was five years mom's senior. Mom was in high school. She was a junior when she started dating dad, and they decided they wanted to get married, and so they eloped. And mother was unable to finish her senior year of high school, so mother went to work, dad went to work. Dad was in the service for a time, both uh, post-World War II, before he met mom, or before he married mom, and then during the first couple of years of their marriage, he was in the Army. During the Korean conflict, he wasn't deployed. He was actually based in Louisiana and worked in a tank battalion. So he was involved in the operations of a field artillery tank. Okay. Uh, Dad then finished and came back, went to night school, studied office machine repair. Mother went to work for a textile company. Unlike most wives, mother and dad both worked, Mm -hmm. and that was the exception rather than the rule at that particular time in American history. A woman's place was in the home, as they used to say. But I was blessed with parents that both worked, and they worked because they wanted us to have the things they weren't able to have because they were both actually products of the Depression. They were born during the Great Depression. Depression in the United States. So So, what what year did they get married? 1949. 1949. That that's that's what uh, four years after the war. Yeah, after the uh, the mm, second after world the war. second world war. Yeah, which affected their psyche. I'm sure. Uh, affected their yeah. their life and their all of those yeah. factors. The the being raised poor, and then going through a war effort and everything. The sacrifice in the war effort. Everybody had to give up something because everything needed to be funneled into the war efforts. So the resources were were limited as far as access for the comfort of the people and the best interest of the nation. They came and decided that instead of mom staying home and just taking care of us, and with the help, of course, obviously, of family members, my grandmother, we were able to have care given to us during the day, able to be raised, to have interaction as children, to go to school. But mom and dad worked. And mom and dad worked all through my life as a student through elementary, junior high school, and high school. And was even working after I graduated, married, and when you know I moved away from college yeah. with my wife. The thing is, is this was my life, and I got to do a lot of things. But I also was, I think, sheltered. Yeah, I can tell you a couple of things about me real quick, so you kind of get an idea of what I've come from. I, I, I would like to hear that. But before we do that, I want to hear about your dad, because I know that your <clears throat> father has taught you a lot. And he has instilled lessons from you that still revertebrate to the man that you are now. And I know this because you have shared with me. If you have in your heart to share some stories about your dad, your mom, and then tell us about you because it's fascinating. Well, Dad, because he came from a family of three. His father was a carpenter. His father was a very, very harsh man. Uh. So dad being the middle child, there was an older sister and a younger sister, but dad was the only male. And my grandfather, by the way, I loved as well. And I had many, many good years with my grandfather. Also, my grandfather adored my wife. And it was my grandparents who actually first saw my wife 
for who she was and became instant fans of hers. Whereas my mother and father had a tendency to be a little more standoffish with her at Uh. first because they just weren't sure she was the right girl for me. Uh, But that's okay. 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 Mom was the one that was probably the most difficult to work with because with mom it was sort of like happy wife, happy life. Dad was the easygoing guy. He was the fellow who simply focused on doing the job that he was supposed to do, being dependable, consistent, always open to learn. Dad was a man of few words, but if asked for his opinion, he was not afraid to express and very candidly and to a great degree, very eloquently how he felt. He he didn't parse his words either. He was very much straightforward and direct. But having said that, he was a man of impeccable integrity. Yes, I, that's what I... Great what manners. Yeah. Dad did not use any form of objectionable language. Dad was the same in church as he was in the office at work. Mm. He was the same in the shopping center, in the grocery store, as he was in the house. So he set up this pattern. Um, not not probably pattern is the right word, but uh, pattern of life and a role, role model for you. Mm-hmm. Very and, much a role model for me. One that I really yeah. didn't learn to appreciate as a role model until much later in life. Yeah. The also the other uh, uh, excuse me also the other thing about dad. Dad was not easily angered, and so Dad was a peacemaker to a great degree. If there was conflict, I'm not talking about conflict in the sense of violent conflict, Mm -hmm. but his leadership skills were obviously observed in church by the pastoral leadership. Was he a leadership. leader? Was he a He was, because leader? in the church that we were in, you had your senior pastor and you had staff, but then you also had a church board. Yeah. In the Baptist church, they have a board of deacons. These are laymen, okay. lay, laity, men and women. And they are basically the heart and soul of the church because they're the tithing base, they're the contributors, and they're the individuals that help make sure that the pastor and his family's needs are supplied. And so dad was involved in that. And when they would talk about difficult issues, as well as planning and budgeting and making sure that the church met its obligations, not just to care for the pastor and his or her family, but also to care for the needs of missions, mm-hmm. the community, the general church worldwide as far as its operations and its practices. Dad became very much also a student of what the church's bylaws and and beliefs were. He was a man who practiced his religion. He was faithful in tithing and giving to the church. He was faithful in attendance. These were all the things that I observed his stability, his consistency, staying at the church, even during difficult times when there were pastoral yeah. changes or there were differences of opinion between the membership and the leadership, and his willingness to stay there and not just stand for what he believes, but also work to bring people together. He was the first one that taught me the principle of how to agree to disagree because... 
you can't always find 100% agreement on things, but you have to learn to understand that even if we don't necessarily agree with how a particular thing should be done, at the end of the day, there must be a decision made that allows the majority to go ahead and yeah. do what they feel is best. Or if it's the pastor's call, say, right. pastor, you've heard from us, but now if you want to go ahead and proceed, no, yeah. you have our 100% yeah. support. I saw this. So consistency, yeah. mm-hmm. stability. Uh, deep uh, rooted rootedness right well or, he I mean, was a, he was a man that taught how to put down roots i've he, that, and i a, also i also heard this from you those exact words john because i have the privilege and an honor to work with you on a regular basis mm-hmm. we do a lot of projects together we volunteer together right we go places we travel we meet different people we're also uh, part of the community in a deep way and i have heard you say on more than one occasion to put down roots and you have referred this to yourself, to others. So those words are important to you. It's like a tree. When a tree has a deep root system that isn't spread out along near the top of the ground, but rather it's a root system that goes down deep, mm-hmm. there's an anchoring effect there. And that anchoring effect is important because in times of difficulty, there is a stabilizing force. Right. Dad would always be the stabilizing force. He would be the person that would keep things in perspective. He would be the person that would come in and diffuse difficulty. My dad and I did have conflicts during college, but these were basically political conflicts. And I learned early in life that having a difference of opinion from a political perspective might have to some degree a connection to the values that one embraces, but... In that day, that was not the overriding factor. The greater factor was my dad loved his kids. My dad dearly, dearly loved his wife. My dad was a faithful man, was a godly man, was a hardworking man, was a dependable man, and was that stabilizing anchor force. And also dad had a remarkably wit about him, a, a sense of humor. Dad could make you laugh <laughs> when his laugh, his ability to make you laugh was like in situations where he could diffuse the situation, right? A situation. Or diffuse the stress or maybe exactly. the tension, right? Diffuse uh-huh. the tension. Now, and John, and he this... did it in remarkable ways. And you know what? I find myself today, Mark, so yeah, I fought, find man. myself pulling the same stunts I my know. dad did. Yeah. I see you. I see you, John. Remember what I said in the beginning? I see you. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of relationship you had with your father? And then we'll go into your mom and then into the lessons that you can share with us. Dad and I had a cordial relationship with each other. Notice I said cordial. Dad and I were not as close as I wished we had been. This is one of those things that sticks with you after you lose a parent. Dad died suddenly and, and very much unexpectedly on June 29th of 2010. I need to just say that Dad had been through about with prostate cancer where they did not remove the prostate but they did do radiation the radiation created a new set of problems in that he developed bladder cancer so he had treatments for the bladder cancer which were quite harsh and then in the process the prostate cancer returned so they decided this time they would take the prostate out entirely dad was 81 years of age when this happened 
And at that particular point in his life, Dad's heart was relatively strong. The uh, pre-op testing had indicated that he was an acceptable candidate for surgery. He went through the surgery, was in surgical intensive care for a period of about three days in recovery. He had some congestive issues in the chest and the pulmonary area, but he began to settle down. The fluid levels dropped. He was placed in a semi-private room, was beginning to move in the direction of recovery, but within 48 hours of going into the semi-private room, Dad began to develop the fluid buildup in the body again, the congestive issue, and they were getting ready to move him back into intensive care to get that situation under control when Dad had sudden and unexpected cardiac arrest. And the reason why I say cardiac arrest is because a cardiac arrest, when you hear it, is an absolute We're not talking about an arrhythmia. We're not talking about a heart attack. We're talking about the heart stopped. Boom. Stopped. Quit. No rhythm. Nothing. And this is when they bring in the crash cart. This is when they shock, trying to get the heart to resume some type of a pumping. 35 minutes they worked on him. He did not come back. He died. That was his time to die. And it was instantaneous. So this was both a blessing for him in that he did not suffer because he just stopped. But it was also a shock to us because we were looking forward to visiting with him that day. We had been coming to the hospital to see him. He was showing signs of progress. He'd had a few bumps. I'd only gotten to talk with him once on the phone, and he was so influenced by the medication that he was giving that he was incoherent at the time. This is where now, as I look back, I say to myself, you know, I learned a lot from listening to my father, but there's so much about my father that I did not learn, particularly about his life growing up in the Depression Everything that I know about dad and that life before mom and the years that I lived in the house with my dad, I get from members of the family and snippets and pieces of information. So I was able to piece piece together basically the story of a guy who was not the biggest fellow in the world, but he certainly was able to hold his own. In a fight, he knew when to run and he knew when to stand and... You know, if he had to hit back, he would hit back. Uh, Dad knew how to mediate difficulties and misunderstandings. Dad knew how to bring people together to create relationships rather than to sever ties. Dad knew how to be recreational and to have fun. He helped with Sunday school teaching, worked with boys a lot, he and other men of the church. Dad became the role model that any man in my age group would want to say I had a role model in Dad because in Dad I had an individual that taught me some important things and perhaps the greatest lesson I've learned from my father other than the importance of loving your wife without exception, loving your children with no questions asked, 
and being dependable and reliable and always kind to everybody, my dad taught me that you can't allow yourself to stress over small details because life is full of little annoyances. They're like these little itches or paper cuts that you get on the tip of your finger or on your arm or on your back. They bother you, and some people just get, you know, almost frenetic about it and i it's it's a, it's a change in perspective isn't it it is and it's a decision and well, I, it's 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 a waste of energy in it's a waste opinion. of energy yeah. um, i also believe this is an important point can you hold on to it for just a moment because mm-hmm. i really appreciate the way you go because you went deep and i'm sorry to hear about your father and he, i have heard the story before and i wanted the audience to listen to it and understand who john is because John Morrill, my partner in crime, <laughs> my executive producer, um, the one who makes this podcast work and who contributed to my life in such a significant way. So thank you, John. You are, you make a choice every day. You make a choice every day to keep going, to keep fighting, to see the positive, even in the sea of darkness, in the ocean of darkness. Have you noticed that in this country, what's the United States and, and other countries, there's this movement and it's very strong. It's with millennials and younger generations and others that, that this mantra, become the best version of who you are. Mm-hmm. And I believe some people b- <clears throat> follow this blindly where, okay, it, you wake them up at four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning then you poke them a little bit and say, okay, what, what do you want out of life in their most sleepy voice, they'll say, I want to become the best version of myself. And then you ask them, what does that mean? What does that mean? Do you want to become a best version of yourself? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're you know, going to run every day? You're going to take calligraphy classes? What does that mean? And I think some people, maybe myself included, when you say that without deeply thinking about who you are and what you want to contribute, you don't allow life will give you loss, will give you despair will give you disappointment. And it's in those moments you decide not to run away from it, but to embrace the gifts of life that are coming. The Because life is multidimensional in a ways that we can't even describe and understand. And if you want to become a best version of yourself, it is when you embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly. You embrace the despair, you embrace the loss, you embrace the anger, as long as all the beautiful parts of life with love, friendship, understanding, journey. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And when you go deep and ask people these questions, what makes you who you are? I want to understand what storms have you encountered? And then when you have deep reminiscence about those experiences, you remember that you're a lot stronger than than you really are. You believe yourself to be more resilient. And it starts with understanding who you are and accepting everything that life gives you. Good, bad, loss, gain, love, heartbreak, everything. And that's what I wanted to say. Appreciate that. Yeah. I have to tell you that when someone is asked the question, what do you want to do with your life? I, I don't say this to be disrespectful. I don't think anybody completely, totally knows what they want to do with their life because life is not something that you can 
define immediately. Now, there are individuals who arrive at a point, and, and I consider them to be extraordinarily gifted, and I don't refer to the giftedness in terms of their IQ. IQ is a great thing, but there are a lot of people with remarkable intelligence, but they have no direction because they've never been able to marry their great cognitive skill with their ability to be productive. Mm, And so they live in a life that is conflicted constantly because they can't reconcile this great knowledge they have with the fact that life is always going to throw curves at them. So that's them. a waste of energy. It's a, it, it is it's disappointing, right? It it's does, disappointing to who you are. It's a series of one failure after another, after another, after another, but there's no point where you can where you're building upon it. Okay. And in life part of the common sense value that you get is when you arrive at the realization that Living is, as you so eloquently and correctly said earlier, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the the joy, the joyous and sorrow, and the sorrow, and the, the, the pain and the good feelings, and, and so much, and love, betrayal, happiness, brokenheartedness—all <laughs> these things are there. Uh, Somebody would say, well, that's, that's a very negative picture. No, no it's not no, a negative no. picture. Reality. reality is just that. I'm thankful that I have a son. He's 36. He's actually a year younger than you. And as a 36-year-old, I've watched his life since he came into it, and, and he will always be one of the most precious things that's ever happened to us. He is, He is, you know... Raising my son was one of the most wonderful times in my life. Was I the perfect father? In no way, form, shape, or fashion. But the one thing my son never lacked for was affection. Affection for you? Uh, well, get receiving affection. Okay. He okay. was. We lavished our affection upon <laughs> him. But we also tried to maintain stability and consistency in our lives. And... What's interesting is that during the most important formative years of his life was when I went through the most upheaval from a career standpoint of view because I was in a job that I liked, but then that job left me. Mm-hmm. And that job left me without an income and left us in a situation where we suddenly found ourselves needy. And I had to seek work, and I was doing all kinds of work. Some of it I liked, some of it I didn't like, most of it I didn't like. And it took me several years while my son was developing and growing from that pre-K into the kindergarten age and then the elementary age and even up towards middle school before I developed into a position where I had stability and work and was doing something to make sure that we could keep a roof over our head and food on the table. But I kept going back to my father in this process because my dad was still with me. And my dad would talk with me about, sometimes you must remember how to prioritize. And he said, if I'm going to give you any advice, here's the advice I'm going to give you. One, always be faithful 
to what you believe. And if you believe in God, which I do, then show your faith to God by being faithful in the things that he asks you to be faithful in. Well, what am I supposed to be faithful in? The things he's given me to care for and to love. And what are those? My wife, my son, my family, my community, my church, my gifts. These are the things that I have that I can use and I can give back and I can give them back in such a way that it shows that I honor a higher power who has equipped me and who is involved in my life directly. And even when times are difficult, I can see that there are doors ahead with light creeping through, and those are doors yeah. that I can go to and I can open. And, that, and I have that gives an op- you confidence. It gives me confidence. It gives you confidence. Because opportunity is there every day to climb. Yes, and that's part of your faith. That's part of your faith. But and it's this, faith my father built into me through the life he lived because he lived the same way. He, he role modeled it for you. And he did. You, and you have showed that with your love to um, your son and to your wife. I also want to point out to listeners and to everyone who's part of this community of Speak Brave is that John is an incredibly affectionate and caring husband. And I see this the way, is that okay if I say that? Right. Um, the way that you talk about your wife and mm-hmm. the way that you care about your wife, the way that your wife is constantly involved in everything that you do. And what I have learned from you, from the time that I have known you, last two years or two and a half years, whatever that, that I know you, is that how deeply, how the deep bond that you have nurtured, maintained, and built with your wife. And for me, as a young man, it's important to know. You have showed to me the template of what, what is possible, the way that you connect with your wife with love, Thank care, you. understanding, and passion. And that is so important to me. That is, this is one of those lessons, John, that you don't have to tell me about. You actually show me. And I want the listeners to know what kind of man you are. Because you have been a great uh, portrayer of several characters that we have made up on the show. And they're coming. They're coming soon. But I just want people to understand the essence of John and where you're going. And I want also to share that what is the most exciting project you're working on right now. Because there's some things that are going to be rolling out in the next few months so tell the listeners about it and then and then we'll um then we'll uh, go forward my most exciting project right now for me first and foremost is to take my story to the people out there on two fronts one to the general community the story of understanding alzheimer's because alzheimer's is a very much uh integral part of my life i didn't want alzheimer's to be a part of my life but alzheimer's is there And it has been a part of my life for quite some time. And now my mother, the last surviving member of her family, is afflicted with it. So the journey that I'm going through with mother right now has given me a purpose in understanding the disease and then talking to people about how to identify and understand and accept the disease and know how to respond. Understand that the caregivers who are mostly made up of family members need to be appreciated, need to be loved, need to be supported. And then a spinoff of that is because of the lessons I've learned through my failure to take notice, even though the clues were always there, and those clues could have given me a better response to Alzheimer's when it did suddenly explode in my face 
and the year 2011 with my mother. Those lessons now I want to pass on to the general public, particularly in the business and professional world, where I want people to begin to realize life is never so stressful and urgent that you can't dial it back a little bit and begin to realize that if you'll just be a little more deliberate and take a little more time to take in what is around you and see life as a template of ideas coupled with beauty and wonder and new things and that in those are clues and signs that you can look at closer and you can learn new things that are going to help you get more out of life and you can learn things that are going to help you know how to better protect yourself and protect the people you love and you can learn things that are going to help you be more productive, more caring, more helpful, more understanding, more compassionate, more tolerant, more oriented towards bringing people together instead of fractioning or yeah. fracturing relationships. Right. Oh, it's a, it's a tall order. Yeah. But it's an order I'm deeply, deeply Tell us about the, the writing work that is will be published next year just uh, just tell us to plant the seeds and we'll we'll bring this up again when it comes closer to launch because i know your fans uh want to hear from you they want to have a piece of john in their home my book will be entitled i never noticed my journey through alzheimer's with mom yes. and it will be a compilation of the stories involving my mom, the lessons that I've learned, the stories of me and how I see things that happened in my life earlier that prepared me for this time in my life. Yes. And I also want to give to people an understanding that regardless of whether it's Alzheimer's, a troubled marriage, cancer, the C word, problems with substance abuse or dependencies, addictions, relationship problems, problems at work, problems in the community, concerns about the world scene. We need to begin to understand that we can still live our lives with fulfillment and with joy and that we can actually be part of those who can change this world not just for how we live it and see it moment by moment, but what we give away to others right. through becoming a part of the solution and the giving of sunshine. And your contribution. It's a contribution. contribution. To the goals that you have set, but I think it comes from the place of giving. It has to be from giving. And, and I know you are as a man that has the highest integrity and in giving because I have seen you over and over again, the way that you're involved in community. You're involved in community, you participate in American Great Teaching, you go to schools, you go to public schools, you talk to young children, young people, and you, I know you encourage them to speak up because you have said um, to those students who listen to you, they say um, they have some hesitation about speaking, but you assure them it was a confirmation. You say an assurance, you have a story to tell and somebody needs to hear it. Mm -hmm. John, thank you. For You're this welcome. wonderful interview, I Thank hope you. I hope listeners have gained a new perspective of who John is because he's always my trusted friend. He's a man who makes this possible, and I'm so delighted that Thank we can you. do this together. So, friends, 
Tune in next week and we'll, in, <laughs> we'll explore our journey on speaking brave. I hope you gr- have a great week, great day. Um, send you my, my love and respect and care. I'll see you next time. And don't forget to speak brave.